Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to, excuse me, may I have some more? We are the Foodcast with an insatiable appetite. I'm Brad. My co-host is Christine. Um, Christine, this is uh, this episode is going to be right up your alley. It is? Why is that, Brad? <laughs> so we have two guests on this episode. Um, the first guest is uh, Renee Paquette, who used to be an on-air personality for WWE and has moved on to greener pastures, which includes the impending birth of her first child and the release this week of her first cookbook. Um, the cookbook is called Messy in the Kitchen, My Guide to Eating Deliciously, Hosting Fabulously, and Sipping Copiously. And because this is a uh, accidentally uh, Christine-themed episode, um, Renee's new cookbook is the number one new release on Amazon in the liquors, spirits, and mixed drinks category. So that plays, uh, plays into not only my, uh, ongoing fun that I have at your expense with, with your, uh, propensity to engage in imbibing, but your interview, which we also have coming up with Joel McHale on behalf of Q Mixers. We have sort of a drinking theme, and even though Renee's book is a cookbook, she drinking while cooking plays a large role in it. And then, of course, the conversation you have with Joel. So, uh, this is uh, podcast nirvana for you. So, are you telling me I should have my cocktail shaker and glass out during this conversation? I'm thinking, and nobody knows when we're recording this, but th- that would incorporate day drinking. Um, as people will hear you and Joel discuss day drinking and the validity of it. So, uh, yeah, I'm thinking the presence of your shaker during this interview would probably be fitting. Good, good. Cause it's, it's always within, you know, hand, uh, an arm's reach bar is always well stocked. <laughs> Occasionally have some good ice around, always have a very good mixer. I'm very particular about my cocktail mixer. Um, but you know, you never know what, what's what's in the glass. Sometimes it's a cocktail, sometimes it's a beer. Drink it down in one breath. Drink, 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 drink. Eins, zwei, drei, vier, lift your sign and drink your beer. Eins, zwei, drei, vier, lift your sign and drink your beer. Drink, drink, drink. 
Turning back to our interviews for this episode, uh, about to play the interview that I did with Renee Paquette about Messy in the Kitchen. Um, yes, I will show for the book. First of all, as you will hear, uh, Renee is just a shit ton of fun. And I'm using that, that phrasing on purpose because the, 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 it's fitting. Um, she's great. She's funny. She's bright. She's engaging. I always have a great time talking to her. It's my second time talking to her in about the last six months. Um, I'm glad people will get to hear it um, in a minute. Um, but her cookbook, Messy in the Kitchen, is such an entertaining, funny read. And from where I sit, if you can have a cookbook on your shelf or on your island or in your kitchen that actually engages you and connects with you on a culinary level and makes you laugh out loud and makes you go back and read. I'm not sure you could, you could find a better formula for a cookbook. Do you want a cookbook in, in your possession that is just about the recipes and about the cooking? Or do you like a cookbook that entertains and makes you laugh and, and engages you above and beyond just the recipes? I think a cookbook now has to be not just recipes because everyone can turn to their phone, flip to a YouTube channel, or God forbid, go to TikTok and see, you know, that cooking hack. You need more. You need to be engaged. Um, I heard about a, a former contestant on the, from the, you know, great British bake off and she released an audio only cookbook. And the whole idea is think out, you know, approach cooking in a different way. It's like you want to have that thing that you go back and turn to over and over again. Kind of like, it's like an old friend. You know, we joke about there's that tattered cookbook that's got cooking splatters all over it and beaten and worn and passed down to generations. Well, that has kind of faded a little bit with, within, you know, some younger cooks, they, they don't appreciate it anymore, but they need something that they, that you can go back to, you know, that familiar, that fun, it, it, you know, if they tell good stories, kind of like the books that you remember growing up that you always kind of look back to and think of fondly, if a cookbook can do that, that's more important than the recipes itself. Yeah, that's a good point. One of the neat things that Renee did, um, and I think we talk about it, is not only make me laugh and make the reader laugh, but throughout the creation of the cookbook, she curated song lists thematically to go with different parts of the book, um, whether it was you know drinks or appetizers or sides or whatever. So there's even a, I think the QR codes are in there that people can download and actually play the song list that Renee created and curated to go with the book, sort of the, when we were kids and yes, I'm aging both of us would, they would have the uh, read along books with the audio. Yes. And I just thought that was a really neat idea too. And just makes the book even more interactive. Um, 
she's wonderful. The book's great. I encourage everybody to get it. So instead of me sitting here yammering on and on about how good it is, let's let's play that interview and hear Renee talk about messy in the kitchen. The very first sentence in the cookbook is, holy crap, I can't believe this is happening, and it's here. Discuss. <laughs> that was really, I mean, you know, it's funny. I remember reading Amy Poehler's book, and her book kind of starts off like that, and it really feels like she's in the room with you being like, oh, my God, we did it. So I kind of, I kind of, you know, leaned on that idea when I started writing that of just like, I, cause I, I really feel like it's almost like a group project in the sense that like, I really kept putting it out there to the universe, to the Twitter universe, to the social media universe of like, I want to write a cookbook. And, you know, my fans have been so amazing to, they just like back me up on everything, which is so incredible. So it does feel like, oh my God, I think we all really rallied when we got a bunch of green lights and now we actually have the book and it's here and just all of the work and the effort. And like, I had no idea when I started writing a cookbook, what went into it. I've never done it before. I had no blueprint to follow. I had no idea. So for me to just like start doing it and now it's here and people can physically hold it, but I can physically hold it. I can't believe it. So you basically you'll be giving birth twice this year. Yes. Yeah. One comes with sleepless nights and dirty diapers. <laughs> and and the other one on May 18th is the result of hours of drinking and experimentation in the kitchen. <laughs> well, actually that could apply to both, but th those are probably true. stories. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> um, can you talk about the origins of the idea and the evolution of the process? to get to where it is today and having that hard copy in your hands? So for me, I just love cookbooks. I love like when I see a new cookbook hitting the shelves or, you know, some, a chef that I like a celebrity that I like, and they've got a cookbook coming out. Like I love getting it in the mail. I love nothing more than sitting on my couch and flipping through and looking at all the beautiful pictures and looking at the writing and the little blurbs that, and just all of everything that goes into it. I love that. So that's what really made me be like, you know what? I want to have one of those. I want to do a book that is like the books that I love to flip through. I mean, whether you use it for like a coffee table book or you're actually taking it into the kitchen, hopefully you're taking it into the kitchen, <laughs> but I really wanted it to have as much like personality and so much of me in the book. And that's what I loved about being able to work with Post Hill Press is they were so amazing with, not filtering me. And as I was delving back into like, or dipping my toe back into how I write and how I sound without having a WWE filter over my mouth, that it was me reconnecting with that. And it was just so much fun for me to write it. I mean, it's sassy. There's some cursing in there. There's some not safe for work lines in there. <laughs> That's something that I really want people, I mean, for people to get that glimpse of me, I mean, you know, you get the 160 characters or whatever from me on Twitter or whatever you get on Instagram and TV, but now you can get it in book form and, and really have at it. Well, and to that point, having read it, I think I've gone through it now five times <laughs> and, and, I, and I've had it about 10 days. Um, and what really Amazing. jumped out to me, aside from the recipes, what we'll get to is the relatability and hearing your voice. It's almost like reading an audiobook without the audio track. You know, I kind of give a bit of a nod to that, that like, you know, before I joined WWE, I used to do all my own writing anyways. 
Um, and I used to do all my own writing for a teleprompter. So I'm used to being able to write very conversationally so that it actually sounds like me speaking and not a robot and not, you know, just taking the life out of the room. I like being able to like sprinkle all that like fun back in there. Cause I'm, I'm pretty sure that as a cookbook lover, you would know this too. Um, I'm pretty sure that Ina Garten has never said, hold on to your butts or bend me over and call me Bobby Flay in one of her cookbooks. <laughs> she hasn't, but I think she could definitely pull it off. Maybe with Jeffrey. <laughs> her and Jeffrey get down. There's no question yeah. about that. I have no doubt. Bend me over and call Jeffrey. Okay, that that works. <laughs> yeah. Um, the <laughs> sorry, the uh, <laughs> the consumption of wine and other adult beverages um, is a common thread throughout the cookbook. I'm curious to hear how they might have influenced your creativity and the decisions you made on which recipes to include. Um, so for me, I mean, yeah, if you want to bring the adult beverages in there, that so that really is part of the unwinding process for me. I mean, currently it's not because I'm about seven and a half months pregnant. Yep. But um, normally for me, especially when I was on the road with WWB, a big thing was getting home and being able to go to the grocery store. I love going to the grocery store. I love walking up and down the aisles and seeing what different sauces there are and what different flavored salts there might be. I love doing that. So adding that in, getting home to my own kitchen and being able to pour a goblet of wine and think, what do I want to make? What do I want to make? What do I want to chop up? Is there a new recipe from another cookbook that I'm dying to try or something that I saw online? Like that's my favorite thing is just testing out different recipes, which made this such a fun project for me, that that's just something I like to do anyways. I mean, whether I'm following somebody else's recipe and then making my own adjustments, which is what I kind of encourage for anybody cooking anyways, is use it as a guideline. You know what you like. Omit stuff if you don't want it in there or add things that you need. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I was putting together all the recipes, it was very much funny. My husband's writing his book right now. Not a cookbook, <laughs> but he he's that. Uh, you get in this mode where you're like, all right, I've got my deadline I, to get my manuscript in. And I wrote the book in about three months, about three months. And I had maybe 10 to 15 recipes that I knew I wanted to do ahead of time. But then I was like, all right, I got to buckle down and like really get these recipes put together. So I was just constantly thinking about it. I would go to bed and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and write notes in my phone of different things that I wanted to try out in the next day, kind of seeing how I could maybe make stuff work. Um, you know, there was a couple recipes like I wanted to do, it was like a deconstructed shumai soup. So mm -hmm. I was doing, yeah. And it, it turned out excellent that I made like the meatballs from the pork and the shrimp with the sesame flavor and the green onions and the beautiful broth. And then I took the, what would have been the dumpling wrapper and I sliced that into the noodles. But then I realized that, um, Chrissy Teigen had a recipe very similar to that in her book. And I was like, uh -huh. shit. I can't use that. And I thought it was like this. So uh, this like very original idea that I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be brilliant. And then I was like flipping through her book and I was like, bitch, you did not. She beat me to it. There you go. Which recipe or recipes in your book are your favorite, John's favorite, Carol's favorite, your mom's favorite. Ooh. All right. That's a good question. Okay. So my favorite would probably be, I love the squid ink pasta. That's one that like, I'll never turn down a squid ink pasta. If it's at a restaurant, if I've got to put in the work and make it myself, 
I will always indulge in that. I love that very much. For John, I think I've got to give him like a bit of like that homer advantage and say that he would probably lean towards the Cincinnati Chili. Uh, that was one for him that I was like, all right, I, I need to figure out because I, I actually made that recipe for the first time. Uh, I did it for, I believe, Valentine's Day one year. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to learn how to like make the Cincinnati chili. And for people that have not ever had Cincinnati chili, it's so different from normal chili. It's the, the beef is all broken apart. It's much thinner. It's served over pasta. You can put it over a hot dog. Um, so it was kind of putting that all together of like the cheese coney over the spaghetti, uh, making the Cincinnati chili dip. This one's a little spicier. He doesn't love spice all that much, but okay. other people do. So I yep, moved absolutely. it around. He's hard to cook for. He doesn't like onions or garlic. So and, and garlic, one. garlic is your oxygen, it seems. Of course. I love, I mean, I love garlic in any scenario, but yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to cook with garlic? Give me all of that. Um, I would say for my mom, though, probably the eggs in snow, which is her recipe. Okay. Uh, and that's actually one of my favorite photos from the book. I think it looks so beautiful the way that, they, that we were able to photograph it, to photograph it. Um, and yeah, I mean, even just the writing leading into that, that's a big like Christmas morning staple at our house. And it's so easy to do, but it looks so beautiful and it looks like so much effort has been put into it. It's a very easy cleanup, which is nice as well. Um, and then I would also say the beef tenderloin recipe that's in there. I mean, that one never disappoints. It's so good. You've got to get like the right cut of meat for it to really let that be the standalone piece. Right. But that that thing, it will knock your socks off. So for people listening who haven't read the book yet, obviously it's not May 18th, um, The Eggs in Snow. It's a sheet tray with what becomes toast when you bake it with the egg whites on top and then the yolk. Just talk about it a little bit. So, okay, so you toast, do all the toast first okay. so that the toast is sturdy. Whip up your egg whites, like nice and foamy, like a meringue, but you don't, it's literally just whipped egg whites. Right. Uh, yeah, pile that up nice on top of the toast, make a little divot inside, pop the egg yolk in there, give it a little salt and pepper. You can, and, but then that's the base version of it. So this is where I kind of give, uh, you know, reader's choice, dealer's choice here that like, you could add some meat in there. You could put a layer of ham underneath the egg whites before you put that in there. You could put some mushrooms in there. You could, you know, pile a bunch of different cheeses on there. Everyone loves more cheese. So that's sort of the base of it. And then it's a really a do whatever you want to add to it, whatever you normally add to your eggs. What are you going to add to an omelet? Put some bacon in there. Put, um, put some red peppers in there. Get some tomatoes, anything like that. And so then you just bake it for like, 10 minutes about that. Just get, the, get the yolk a little bit cooked, but you still want to cut through it and have that runny yolk. Right. Which well, you, which you also mentioned in the, in your book about how much you love as do I just a good, a well-cooked runny egg sopped up by good toast. There's, There's nothing, nothing better. better. There's yeah. nothing better than the, yeah. Give like I would eat that. I might go make that literally once we drop off here. I'm very easily swayed by the sounds of different foods right now where I'm like, oh, that is what I want. Buttery toast, a runny yolk egg. Oh, God, there's nothing better. It's so simple, but it's so beautiful. You're a proud native daughter of Canada. Yes. Even though you're now a U.S. citizen. Congratulations. Um, how important was it for you to include some recipes like the clam chowder poutine and the all dressed chips chops? That's a <laughs> say that three times fast. 
I know, um, right? In in the book, how important was it to to bring some of your roots in into messy? Yeah, you know, I mean, it was very important to me, but it also was like such a no brainer that was like, okay, if I'm doing a cookbook, obviously there has to be a poutine in there. There must be. So I gave the base version of a poutine in case people don't want the clam chowder poutine, which you're crazy if you don't want a clam chowder poutine. Because right. um, a lot of people, it still surprises me how many people don't know what poutine is, which is fries, cheese, curds, yep. and like a brown beef gravy. It's amazing. I mean, who doesn't love that? I actually just had Rhea Ripley was on my uh, on my podcast, Oral Sessions. We were talking about how for some reason fries and gravy is not a huge thing in the, in the United States. So trying to trying to make a little bit of a shift here. And then with the all dressed chips chops, that is a hard <laughs> one to spit out. That was I got actually, you. I know, right? I, I mean, as a professional broadcaster, every now and then you gotta slow it down a half second and make sure you're hitting everything right. Yep. Um, that was actually an idea that John came up with. Um, he's really good at coming up with these like kind of like stoner ideas for someone <laughs> that's not a stoner. You would think that he's like smoking something in the backyard being like we should try this it's not what's <laughs> happening it's just how his brain works sometimes um but we have all dressed chips which is an incredible chip from canada but we can get them at our local grocery store so i understand that not every state or city is going to be the same right. so you can swap it out but just use use you want to use like a, a good ruffle chip you need to have that ruffle in there 100%. You want that extra bit of crunch. Um, but you could just use a plain chip. You could use barbecue chips. You could, you know, sky's the limit. Um, but yeah, as we were trying to figure out what to do with that, I was like, hey, I could do it with chicken. I could, you know, do it with whatever. But I was like, no, nah, the pork chop is the way to go. It's also like a slight nod to uh, to like a good shake and bake. Yep. I love a good shake and bake. <laughs> Which you also reference in the book. Yes, I do. Because when I was doing the scotch egg and my mom had sent me uh, from my grandmother, a bunch of her recipes. And I was like, Oh my God, this is awesome. It was so great. As I'm like trying to think of like other things that I wanted to add in there. And then to, as you said, it's like keeping things to my roots. I mean, there's nothing more like sinking your teeth into recipes that your own grandmother had written down on little tiny recipe cards and then making some adjustments. So the scotch egg was one of those for me. Um, I can't remember I can't remember what it was called that she was rolling it in, but it was, it was, uh, it was something similar to a shake and bake. And then uh, the other one that I got from my grandmother as well is um, the Hawaiian, uh, Hawaiian fried rice. And that one I had to tinker with quite a bit because every time I went to make it, the rice wasn't coming out right, or it was too sweet or, you know, trying to decide, am I using spam in this or am I going to use ham uh, so that one took me a little while, but once I once I figured out the system for it, it's easy. I did all the hard work. You guys can do the easy bits now. So going back to the scotch egg for one second, have you experimented with instead of what your grandmother did, or instead of the shake and bake, doing it with the all dressed chips? Oh, I've not even thought to do that. That would be amazing. Why yeah, not? Just, just curious. Okay. Yeah, no, I've I've not done that. I mean, the scotch eggs, anytime I've done them, I've always just, I pretty much always have shake and bake in my pantry. So I'll just like dump that out, give it a little roll around in there. Oh my God, they're so good. Uh, But yeah, I mean, you could totally experiment with that. Put some other chips in there. Again, whatever flavor you want, but all just chips. 
I know that Canada gets the big like, oh, you guys love ketchup chips, which we do. And they are great. But I would give the slight nod to all dressed chips as the best chip in the whole world. There is not a dessert section in the cookbook. Is that the result of you not being a dessert person? Or is that foreshadowing of a follow-up cookbook down the road? So initially, it was the fact that I'm not a desserts person. I don't have a sweet tooth. Or I hadn't until I got pregnant. So that was part of it for me where I was like, well, I don't really care. Like this, the most baking that's in there is like the cinnamon rolls and that's a breakfast deal. Um, Or I mean, a midday snack, whatever you want. But, um, but yeah, when I was like looking at putting that together, I was like, I just, I don't really care to have desserts that much. But now that uh, the past seven and a half months, I'm like, give me ice cream, give me cake, give me pie, brownies, cookies. I want all of those things that now it does kind of feel like a door has been opened of like, okay, my taste buds have changed. Uh, My food cravings have completely changed. I'm like, gosh, do I need to really delve into this? And another thing I will say too, of like getting this book up and running was, you know, prior to writing it and like spending as much time in the kitchen as I really was writing it and putting it all together, I would always kind of veer away. Sometimes I'm like, do I really want to make a thing that I have to make my own dough and I've got to get the yeast out and I've got to wait for it to rise and then pat it, knock it back down, let it rise back up again. So now that that does not seem like a daunting task to me, I feel like I'm like, bring on all doughs, bring on all pastas. I'm ready to go. Um, but yeah, I think that is something that opens up my mind now when I think of baking, because it is that science side of things. I oh, like yeah. to get in the kitchen and just mess around. I like to be drinking while I'm in there. I'm kind of half measuring things. So to go in there and bake is like, all right, let's, we got to turn up, put on like a lab coat and get this, get this right. So you mentioned eating during pregnancy. You've, you've, you keep giving me these great segues to questions I already had. Um, (laughs) Are there things that you have, aside from the sweets that we just discussed, things that you have started eating the last seven and a half months that you would not have thought to eat or sought out prior or is your palate pretty much the same with the exception of sweets playing a more uh, prominent role? I would say it's like almost the same, but more sweets. Like when I sit down and like have like last night, I was like, I didn't feel like cooking. My back is hurting. Everything was just falling apart. But I was like, I know I've got fish sticks in the freezer. (laughs) So I was like, I'm going to have some fish sticks, but I'm also going to have some broccoli just to make sure that I'm getting all of the good things that I need to be getting for the baby. And then afterwards, I'm like, I also know that there's ice cream in the freezer. Um, I don't know if you've ever had Jenny's ice cream, but it's incredible. About a half a mile from my house. Yep. Oh, my God. So they sent me a case of their ice cream when they put out, they just put out their Dolly Parton line. Okay. And they sent me a bunch of their other ice creams and it has been a true game changer. <laughs> it's amazing. So between having that ice cream in my freezer kind of at all times now, and I've been going through peanut butter at an incredible rate <laughs> every morning, I would say, I would say 98% of every morning since I've been pregnant, I've had just toast with peanut butter or toast with peanut butter and jam I've had peanut butter every single day throughout this pregnancy. But you my baby, a- my baby is made of peanut butter. If she comes out and has a peanut allergy, good God. 
That'll be me to blame. <laughs> so you, you've had it on a vessel. You haven't gone the spoon in the jar yet. No. Well, <laughs> I do do that with the natural peanut butter. I don't do it with like my like Jif peanut butter. Okay. Natural peanut butter. I do do that for though. It's a good source of protein, right? Absolutely. <laughs> why, why waste a good uh, vessel when you can just go in? Exactly. No, yeah. I love it. I am one of those people that like, I like to keep my natural peanut butter in the fridge because I want like a cold spoonful of natural peanut butter. I am obsessed with it. I've done that prior to being pregnant, but it's, I definitely lean on it more now. You talk about in the, in the cookbook, you talk about your love of music and its importance in your life. And you did something really cool, which to me is an idea whose time has come. And that was curating playlists that were themed for people to cook, to eat, to whatever. Can you talk about the idea, how you curated those? Just share, share your music story and then where, where it relates to the cookbook. Yeah, I mean, music has always been a huge part of my life. Um, my dad's a concert promoter. My brother works in the music industry. I grew up being like at, you know, music rehearsals and the bands that my dad was touring with, riding around on road cases and trying not to like get my hands stuck in road cases, all those things that come with being a kid backstage at a, at a big uh, performance like that. Um, so that's always been something that's been a, a big part of my life. And then it's in terms of putting it into the book, that was just something that I, I feel like that idea popped in my head that I was like, man, I, I, again, it's like that sort of, I want people to feel like they're at my house. Like I want people to feel like they're, you know, just from the way the writing is that it is so much of like my personality in there to then having the music in there as well. And the whole concept of the book for me was about hosting and having our friends and family into the house when we can get to doing all of those things. And I think we're all going to be diving into that a lot coming up soon once we're all vaccinated and everyone's healthy and right. the numbers are getting lower. It's like every, we all just want to spend time together and, for, to me, that's a big thing. So where our living room or our, where our dining room is set up, my record player is just on the other side. So okay. that's like one of my favorite things of like having everyone gather around the table, putting on a record. I mean, it's kind of pain ass to get up and flip it partway through dinner, but it's exactly. all right. It's worth it. It's worth it's, it. It's the beauty of vinyl. And for those textures. Yeah, get that vinyl in there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just having that concept of like putting together a playlist and I think music is so important to setting a theme and setting uh, setting the mood for what you're trying to convey to your guests and just having something on. You need to have something on the background. Nobody wants to walk in the house and it's like quiet. We're all just staring at each other. The louder everything is, the better for me. I want loud people. I want loud music. I want loud conversation, loud food, loud tastes. I want all those things. Um, so, you know, I started putting, putting together the playlists. And then talking to publishers, I was like, yeah, like, can we do like QR codes in the back so people can just scan them and it takes them right to the Spotify. So it was really cool that we were able to pull that off. And then I reached out to a couple friends as well that I was like, well, what do you want to hear? What would you listen to if you were doing this? So a lot of it's my music, a lot of, and then there's like other bits of it that come from me reaching out to other friends from the Bella Twins to Paige to Michael Cole to, you know, some of my other friends that you wouldn't know. Right. But, um, but yeah, it was really cool being able to get people's suggestions for what they wanted to add in there. It felt like a nice little collaboration. Did Nickelback make any of the list? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> they did I, not. I there have... are some good Canadian nods in there, but definitely not Nickelback. Okay. No offense, Chad Kroger. Messy in the Kitchen just screams 
TV show waiting to be made. Thank is you. that something that's been discussed? And if so, do you need a producer? Because my daughter's great. <laughs> well, good to know. First and foremost, good to know. That's the really cool thing is like, you know, throughout my career is like finding different people along the way to be able to collaborate with and find different projects to work on. But that's something I would absolutely love to do. It just seems like such a no brainer to me. Like, why not? Why are we not doing this? You know, I, from the credentials that I have of television over the past decade or so into now getting into this world to, you know, doing some more like lifestyle stuff. This is something I would absolutely love to do. So I'm really hoping that somewhere down the line, this is also one of those things you just kind of like manifest, keep kind of putting it out there. Like you did with the cookbook. Keep posting about it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, why not? I just, I think, I think all of the pieces are there. It it should just happen. I, I, when you read this book, it, it, to me, it just, it is a TV show waiting to be made. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate getting to see you again and being able to chat my book. I'm so happy that you've been able to look at it and read it and kind of sift through the whole thing and kind of give me your stamp of approval. So thank you. Hope everybody enjoyed that interview and is even more uh, compelled now to uh, to pick up the uh, Messy in the Kitchen cookbook that Renee Paquette just released. Uh, it's well worth it, I promise. Um, turning our attention ahead to your interview with Joel McHale, um, the impetus for that interview was his new partnership with Q Mixers. And I'm going to defer to you completely because as we've established since the very first episode, I don't drink. My idea of a mixer is going to steak and shake and having a chocolate diet Coke with chocolate being the mixer. Um, And you and Joel engage uh, quite well on why Q mixers are so good and have, have struck a chord and hit on something. So uh, before we listen to that interview, talk to me about mixers, educate me, tell me why this Q mixer product uh, has, has hit something on the nose. Okay. So really simply put it, it tastes good. It, it allows the flavor uh, of your drink to just be more enhanced and it and it came about because the gentleman who created Q mixers was sitting and drinking a gin and tonic and you know after you drink one too many drinks there that sometimes have a little too much sugar it just coats the back of your palate and it leaves this sticky sweet feeling that you just can't get rid of and basically you just said there's got to be a better way and he engineered a tonic in his house and it took off and he would bring it to, you know, different restaurants and mixologists would taste it and be like, yeah, this is actually good. This is what, you know, it's not just opening another bottle of sugary liquid and throwing that into your really great liquor and ruining it. So over time, Q mixers has kind of become if not the, you know, one of the products that better mixologists um, and, you know, home drinkers like themselves. Now, yes, Brad, I know you don't have, you know, a line of gin and vodka and 
all the other spirits in your house, but I know even, how to play gin. Well, th- that's good. So gin <laughs> rummy and you want something refreshing. I would honestly say even just having some of these drinks in the house, you know, the flavor is different. So instead of like going and grabbing, you know, a typical ginger ale or even um, say like a sparkling water, even considering one of these with, uh, you know, a piece of fresh fruit garnish and serving it over ice, it, the flavor comes through. I mean, anything from, you know, there's a grapefruit one, there's an elderflower tonic, just something a little different to kind of lighten up other beverages. It's a great choice. And even if you just took a glass of orange juice and added the elderflower tonic to it for your next brunch, I think you would like it. Now, again, I'm, I'm talking from a position of complete naivete. So if this is a stupid question, then I know you won't hesitate to tell me. I assume their product line spans a wide range of, I don't want to say substitutes for traditional mixers, but if somebody, and you mentioned sweet and sticky, would that be the Coke element of a rum and Coke? Would that be the orange juice element of screwdriver? Do they check all of the boxes regardless of the kind of drink that somebody may enjoy and is looking for a substitute for that sweet and sticky that you talked about? Well, not necessarily like orange juice, but not that kind of way, but think of more like carbonated beverages. Okay. So like, like specifically tonics that the company started with tonics and then moved from there. So tonic club soda, ginger beer. Um, I believe they have a cola. I know they have a hibiscus flavored one, a grapefruit one. So basically if you're looking at um, majority of cocktails that involve some type of carbonated mixer, they have an option. Um, usually people use them. Tonic is probably what they're mo- what they started with. And one of the things they're most well known for. So um, if, if you like gin and it's gin and tonic season, go stock the fridge with some Q mixers. I know I have. And, and you, t- you did tell Joel that you've got Q mixers in your house. I, I do. And, and in all honesty, um, before having done this interview, before having um, worked with the brand um, previously on some cocktail posts, and they're not paying me to say this, let me be clear, that has been one of that that was like my go to mixer just because of the taste. And yes, I fully admit, I am a snob. Um, if I'm going to spend a decent amount of money on liquor. I don't want to ruin it with other ingredients where you feel like you're throwing it away. If for this analogy probably will not make sense to you, Brad, but maybe it would make sense your kids. There's a big difference between ordering a well drink and ordering a top shelf liquor. So if I'm going to do that, I don't want if I'm ordering a top shelf liquor, I don't want the soda out of the soda squirt thing at the bar. I want something better. The same thing in my house. So if I'm going to spend the money, make it good. Just like there's a difference between a $8 bottle of wine and a $50 bottle of wine. At some point when you're old enough and you can afford it, you go for the higher, <laughs> you go for the better product. 
Why do I get the impression that John Taffer himself would be very proud of the bar setup at your house? You know, I like John Taffer is such an interesting guy to chat with. Uh, he was at the restaurant show like years and years ago. And, you know, he does have a, a, a specific niche when it comes to like the liquors that he chooses. And I, I will say, you know, he does have his own line of products and he also has his own set of restaurants now, too. Um, but it, you know, he, there's, there's a time and a place just, just like anything in life, there's a time and a place for everything. And if you have the bankroll and you can afford certain things and you appreciate it, then go for it. You just mentioned that there's a time and a place for everything. So I'm thinking this is the time and the place to listen to your conversation with Joel McHale. It's very entertaining. So take a listen. Gay drinking uh, gets a stigma of being the greatest thing that's ever happened. I think it really says that you've reached a certain point in life where you get to day drink. Well, and, and now that you are, you know, chief happy hour officer, is that your new decree that day drinking, it should, you know, no longer have a stigma and we should crack open a cocktail whenever we choose? Thank you for uh, letting Thank you for addressing me by my title. Uh, it's way better than an honorary degree because uh, I like to call myself a CHO. And uh, I, yes, I, I think every hour can be a uh, happy hour as long as, um, you know, you're responsible, of course, and you have a lot of hair gel and uh, some cool shoes. Uh, and of course, a Q mixer, as we know. Uh, but yes, so I believe me when the when this brand came i i get a, some i get approached by brands sometimes and they're like what do you think and i'm like eh, it's fine uh but this one is one that i actually used because i don't know about you but uh when carbonated soda stops being carbonated instantly when something hits mm -hmm. it uh it's more depressing than uh i don't than you know uh old age really old age i mean uh it's i just you know like i go you've got to be kidding why did i buy this now it, it now it's just syrupy ick in my bourbon well and you know i i think about q mixers because it has a really good flavor to it and i know that you're a big foodie so is that part Thank of the you. the draw too that you know when you use a q mixer whether it's in bourbon or gin or vodka it allows the spirit to kind of, you know, flourish and come through better than some other brands that coat the back of your, you know, mouth with sugar. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, it really, yes, uh, I am. Uh, thank you for saying I'm a foodie, but I am a snob when it comes to this stuff. It's more like, well, why not use something that's uh, high quality than if, if you can uh, and it's not like it's that it's not like it's that expensive or anything. It's not like I'm like, oh, I need to have a Fabergé egg on display. Uh, it's more that it, this thing was made that's really high quality. So you might as well use it. It's just like we're in the golden age of beer right now. Right. Our grandfathers never dreamt of beer like this that we have. So I think that has upped the same thing with like we never dreamt of bourbon like this or scotch selection or um no, like there's 12 different kinds of Campari now, but so like, why would you take a perfectly high end gin and then douse it with uh, something that's going to, yeah, go flat and taste like sugar in the back of your throat. It's like, why would you buy a, you know, like a turbo S 
Porsche and then put bald tires on it. So that that's how I kind of see it. And I, I know that you like bourbon. I've, I've seen some social media posts where, you know, that is one of your beverages of choice. Um, when you think about a cocktail, or, or do you go more towards bourbon and brown spirits or do you mix it up a little? I start out with four brown spirits, then we move on to the, no. Uh, boy, I am all over the map. Uh, it's a For me, it's a spectrum because I think, you know, from tequila to mezcal to gin to bourbon, scotch. Uh, I know it sounds like I have a bar in my house, which I kind of do. Uh, but my wife prefers tequila drinks uh, more than um, brown liquor drinks. So uh, I know for this thing we're doing, which I am fully um, behind, uh, it has Blanco tequila in it with Campari and lime juice and uh, the hibiscus ginger beer. Um, and that, that's the five o'clock fuzz, as I like to call it. Uh, so I'm, I, I'm pretty open to a lot of different drinks. The only drinks I really... It's, I only like a spicy drink if it's a Bloody Mary uh, so far, but maybe I need to open my mind a little bit. Well, so the, with the, the new cocktail you made, the 5 o'clock fuzz, do, does it leave you a little fuzzy at 6 o'clock because it's a little you know, heavy-handed? Or it, is it one of those like nice entryways to a, a good steak dinner? Well, Christine, we're just going to have to find that together. Uh, so I'm going to make one right now. No, uh, I, it really depends on how much tequila and Campari you put in it. Uh, the, the one I make is like, you know, an ounce and a half, but, um, you could definitely up that and get super fuzzy by six. Uh, but, uh, I like to space it out. I know some people like to get, you know, um, want that click to happen right then, but I, I like to space it out through the evening. So I would make this and then start cooking the steaks. And then maybe, you know, make another after that. Uh, and then my kids would try to drag me in to play some Call of Duty uh, or Fortnite. So, um, yeah, I don't know. How do you feel after the first cocktail? I, I'm, I mean, I normally try to have a little even keel because I don't want to, if I'm cooking afterwards, I don't want the slip of the knife. Because then, you know, <laughs> that could be a little bit of a crime scene in the kitchen. Which nicely, gosh, Christine, that was such a great uh, transition. That was well done. Hey, someone might have told me I was a writer at one point. Maybe (laughs) someone told me that I was an actor at one point. So this works out great. (laughs) So I, I know you have the new show on Fox, which really has an interesting premise to it, where yeah, you you basically go backwards to kind of figure out what what was made, what was being baked. Um, are, I know you're, you know, you grill a lot and you, and I see that. Do you bake as well? Uh, Christine, I'm going to be honest. I bake every day. No, I don't. <laughs> uh, I look my, uh, bandwidth for stuff like that. Like, so I got into cooking meat and pasta and things like that. But when I would watch something like the great British bake off, it, seemed it was so difficult what they were pulling off because it's the obviously the timing and the chemistry of making these desserts is such it's like APL level of I mean sort of JPL level of science and um like one of the judges on the show is Yolanda Gamp who is like the queen of cakes and I sit there like in awe at what she's saying I'm like I cannot believe the level 
at which this is. So I was fa- I'm fascinated by the world and the I, I, and I think it shows like the highest level of human uh, accomplishment when you're like, oh, we're going to make food, but we're going to make it look like this and taste like this. And so I am. So I loved it. And people joke like, Joel, you never eat carbs. I eat them all the time. I'm just very strategic about it. And with this show, I was eating at one point like 13 desserts a day. And I thought, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for letting me be on this planet that I get to do this thing. Um, But you wouldn't believe what the people figure out in just a few little clues. So the premise is that People get two minutes to walk around a kitchen that has the remnants of some dessert. And that can be a drop of lemon juice, a little hint of, you know, uh, baking soda, a tiny bit of like fondant. And then they have to put put it together about what it was. And they go like, oh, it was a hummingbird cake in this shape. And you would be astonished at how close people get. Uh, And then you'll be astonished at how far away people get as well. And. It's a huge spectrum of bakers from highly trained to people who have trained themselves. And we've shot the whole thing, and you will be amazed at how some of the untrained bakers are as skilled and some of their intuition is better than the trained bakers. Well, I I have to ask, because I've seen you on other programs, especially with food, Um, are, are Yolanda and Curtis Stone a little better at pronouncing names and stuff than maybe Jeremy Ford and his inability to say the word Portillo's? Unreal. Uh, Yes, I'm I'm still uh, waiting for a formal apology. uh, I I used to live in Chicago, and and when he could not say that, it it broke my heart. (laughs) I was confused. I was like, is he screwing with me? What's happening? Portillo's is not that Italian people and um, their names have been in our country for many years. And so I feel like it wasn't that hard of uh, a layup, but um, I will give that to him for now. I'm sure he's learned to pronounce it by now. I guess maybe I should have said Gold Coast Dogs. That may be of what easier to say, but, uh, you know, like I... I love a Portillo's hot dog. I mean, with the pickles and a tomato, and uh, it's and no ketchup. It's and the, and the poppy seed bun. My lord, uh, Chicago, uh, thank you for that. That's another one of those things where when I had my first like Chicago style hot dog, I thought, why is this? In, why does the entire world not eat these every day? Because uh, I grew up in like grew up just like, well, here's a hot dog with a little bit of ketchup, and then they clear, they made it into a work of art. Before I let you go, because I know our time is short, um, with the new show premiering uh, at the end of the month, I'm curious, Do you, other than the uh, 5 o'clock fuzz, do you have another cocktail recommendation to pour while we're watching the show? Oof. I, uh, boy, I like, I think, like, so 5 o'clock fuzz is great because it's a great combination of flavors and it's refreshing and it's summertime. Uh, I like a re- I like using the light tonic uh, with a high quality gin, something like Old Raj, which I loved. Uh, and then you make sure that there's some lime in there, not too much. You don't want to overpower everything, but just enough. You go around that rim, and uh, you're you're sailing. Perfect. Well, I, I don't have Christine. How how old are your kids? My kids are 15 and 16. Two boys. 
And luckily that means I have a designated driver. So when I go out now, I can enjoy happy hour. This is great. You just can yell at the 16 year, just call them Uber. Christine Strubble, it's always good to talk to you. And I hope we do it again after when we announce the Crime Scene Kitchen's second season. Ooh, sounds good. I look forward to it. Since we uh, both interviews were a little longer and because they were so good, uh, I'd like to think they were so good. Um, we don't have to talk as much, which is probably a welcome change for you and I. Um, but I do want to remind people that Renee Paquette's new cookbook, uh, Messy in the Kitchen, is out and available. And you should hop on Amazon or get your local Barnes & Noble or wherever you get your books and pick one up. And Joel McHale is everywhere, including his new show, um, that you guys talked about for Fox that people will, having not seen the show, I've seen the promo. Um, anything Joel McHale does is entertaining and funny. And I'm assuming that'll be the case. And this concept's unique also. Um, I'm assuming that'll be the case too. Have you seen the show? Um, I have seen clips of it, but, um, in addition to Joel McHale, it's going to have Curtis Stone and, uh, Yolanda who, um, everyone knows from like her great cakes and her YouTube show. But I think the, the group of them is going to be interesting. A few of the clips I've seen, um, it, it will it, it will be, I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of the Joel humor that we remember from the soup back in the day and even how, you know, he does things on the mass singer. So um, I, I think it'll be a nice lighthearted break from all the Gordon Ramsay programming on Fox. Yeah. And, and he has a new show calling uh, called next level chef Gordon Ramsay does um, that we will talk about probably in our next episode that's going to put the wraps on another episode of excuse me i have some more we are the food cast with an insatiable appetite christine it's been fun especially with uh funny amusing engaging interviews um loved loved your joel interview i uh, hope people enjoy the uh renee interview that i did as well and uh look forward to getting back at it uh in the next week or so with our next episode Sounds good, Brad. Cheers. <laughs> How fitting on a, a mix and drink themed episode that you would you would end things with a cheers. So bottoms up. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.